Let me open us in prayer and then we'll jump in. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for these guys. Uh, Father, as we... Uh, as we journey through your word today and as we continue to uh, look at the idea of throwing down the gauntlet, I pray that we as men uh, would be uh, willing, willing to do that. And so, God, as we look at this idea today, uh, that um, you would let us see from your word and be challenged in your word uh, to make a decisive decision. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. This week I want to talk to you about throwing the gauntlet down against being double-minded. Throwing down the gauntlet about against being double-minded. I, I think that as men, oftentimes, we live, we live in the world between. Uh, the world between wanting to follow Christ and walk in courage and walk in faith and be a bold witness, truly be salt and light, and wanting to function in a world and not to stand out too much and uh, not for someone to make fun of us and never wanting to be the person that is identified as the strongest Christian in the room. And so I want to encourage us as men today uh, to, to throw down the gauntlet about being double-minded, having a mind, one mind in the world and one mind in our faith. I want to I encourage us to throw down the gauntlet of being Sunday-only Christian men, or at least Sunday-morning-only Christian men, or perhaps Tuesday-morning Christian men, that I want to encourage us to become all-in, to be all-in seven days a week, 24 hours of the day. Of the day. And it, it, it requires a commitment. If you look in James chapter 1, let me show you a word here. Uh, it's a Greek word. Here's what James says. Let perseverance, and I talked about that word in the, um, uh, in the message a couple of weeks ago, that guys, if we are going to produce fruit in our faith, if we are going to be good soil, Jesus said that through perseverance, good soil receives the seed and allows it to produce its crop, but only by persevering. What does it mean, persevering? Boy, you got to persevere through the hot days and the wet, wet days, the warm days, the cold days, uh, the dry days. You've just got to press on. And that's the same way it is in our season. There are seasons. It's not uncommon for me to have a cup of coffee with a man or uh, have a breakfast with a man. And they say, man, I just haven't sensed God doing anything in my life lately. I haven't sensed God moving in my life lately or I haven't heard from God lately. And what do we do? We persevere in those seasons. We have to press on. We have to move through. Man, because that's what Jesus said in that, in that passage in Luke, is that if you and I are going to produce fruit, we just have to keep going in the dry, bitter, hot days. When the wind is blowing, we've got to move on. And so he says, let perseverance finish its work. In other words, don't quit too early so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault. And guys, that's what, it, what James, the brother of Jesus, is saying right there is, guys, there's not a perfect guy in the room. There's not a perfect guy in the room that you can't still sit down and confess your sins and God won't bless you and forgive you of your sins, that you won't sit down and ask God to give you courage and faith and give you wisdom as you journey, and God will bless it even if you're not perfect. He says, not finding fault, and it will be given to you. Now look at this next verse. He says, but when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. He says, that person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Now look at verse 8. It says, such a person is double-minded and unstable in all their ways. So today I want to talk to you about being, throwing down the gauntlet of being 
double-minded. That Greek word double-minded uh, is kind of, a, kind of a cool word. You can call people this. It's called dipskisk. All right, you can just walk around and say, hey, you're a dip, all right? And the Greek word, it basically means a person, literally translated, a person with two minds or two souls. Two minds or two souls. Someone who doubts. Someone that is constantly, should I or should I not? Am I all in on this Jesus thing? Am I not all in? Am I all in on serving my church? Am I not all in? I mean, that's really what he's talking about. He's, but notice what it says at the end. Such a person, a guy who is double-minded, is double-minded and unstable. And we're going to look at both of those ideas. What does it mean to be double-minded and what does it mean to be, double, uh, to, to, to be unstable in all your ways? Now, the idea of being double-minded means that I've got a split mind. That when I am at church, I am focused on my faith. When I leave church, I am focused on someone else, something else. And here's what we need to understand, guys. We have to be all in on our faith seven days a week. All right. Now, that doesn't mean that just here in, in church, because we had a, a day off, uh, today we will be in staff meetings. Typically, Mondays are our all-day staff meetings. We just stack them up. Uh, I'm, I'm usually pretty miserable on Mondays, and I'm miserable to be around on Mondays. So we put all of our meetings in on Mondays, and we're just like, all right, if we're all going to feel bad, let's just do all of our meetings on Monday. We're going to plan the next week or the next couple of weeks. Now, th this week, because Monday was a holiday, and a lot of our, our, our people uh, are part-timers, we moved all of our staff meetings to Tuesdays. So today we're going to sit there, and we're going to be talking a lot of church business, church ministry, organizational structure, what, what, what went well on Sunday, what didn't go well on Sunday. But we still have to be thinking about what's the best thing for our faith. What's the best thing for our walk? What's the, what's the challenge to go forward? It's the same thing with you. You're going to leave here, and you're going to go to your job, or you're going to go to breakfast, or you're going to go... I want to encourage you to allow your faith to continue to just kind of be in the back of your mind and from time to time let it to move to the forefront of your mind. If you think about um, Jesus in, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, don't turn there. Jesus said, hey, listen, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. What was Jesus saying? He's saying, listen, if you are living in a double-minded way, if you are living in such a way that you are constantly uh, trying to uh, uh, create walls or barriers between your faith that you try to live and grow on Sunday and your life where you try to walk and journey on uh, the rest of the week, Jesus says you're not going to be able to do it you're going to finally find yourself constantly torn between two worlds, constantly wondering, man, can I do this? Uh, how many of you remember Dr. Doolittle? Uh, what, was, what was that animal in Dr. Doolittle, the push-me-pull-you? How many of you remember what that is? It's kind of a two-headed two llama. I think it was originally a llama and a unicorn. It, it's got two heads. How many of you, if you remember that? And it's always, you had two heads. One's trying to go this way, one's trying to go that way. Uh, they had divided things up, if you remember in Dr. Doolittle, and some of you I can see are not literary geniuses like me. One of them did all the talking, and one of them did all the eating. That was the, that was the reason why they decided that, this two-headed animal, is because they thought it would be rude for the side that was talking to have food in its mouth. 
So instead, one side's always eating, one side's always talking. They're always debating about which way to go. That's exactly the way we are from time to time. I know I've been there, guys, where I'm like, man, do I want to go this way or that way? What does that mean? A double-headed, double-minded guy? Man, we're going to be unstable in all of our ways. We're going to fall away. What was the illustration James, the brother of Jesus, said? He says, we're going to be like a wave tossed around by the wind. Man, if you and I are not set in our faith and walking in our faith and growing in our faith, what does that mean? That we are going to get out and as soon as the winds of change or the winds of, you know, some uh, political structure or the organizational structure of, uh, of our company or uh, the house or something begins to blow this way, we're going to go this way. And when the wind blows this way, we're going to move this way. We're going to be tossed here and there. And what does that make us? That makes us unstable in all of our ways. If you think about that word, not only am I double-minded, but I'm unstable. In other words, the more our minds are split, the more unstable our body is, right? Now, if a boat is trying to navigate some uh, uh, ferocious storm, somebody tell me, what is the best thing that the boat can do? Stay under power, right? The last thing you want to do if you are a captain of a large vessel in the middle of a storm is lose power. Because once you are setting still, then you are going to be turned over. And that's the way it is for some of us, guys, is we, we come to church and we, we read a scripture, or we hear the pastor say something, or we get encouraged about something. Then when we leave church, we just kind of power down our spiritual life. And then we go about our physical life in this realm, in this world, and the world's moving us here and moving us there and moving us here and moving us there. And guess what? Man, we're getting further and further away from the destination that God has for us. And that's what, not, that's what being double-minded will do. The idea, now, if you look at that word, if you want to just underline it there in your Bible, unstable in all your ways. The, the clear inclination, the clear reference of that word is that of a drunk man. A drunk man is unstable, right? Isn't that what happens uh, if, you get, if, if you see an officer pull someone over, if you see them doing a road, roadside sobriety test? What is the officer doing? Essentially trying to see, is this person physically unstable? Does that make sense? That's why they make them uh, look left, look right. They look into their pupils, see if their pupils are dilating or whatever else they're looking at. And by the way, I've, I've never been through this. I've, I've seen some of y'all on the side of the road. Uh, but what are they doing? They, you know, they ask them a few questions, then they tell them to touch their nose, and then they ask them to stand on one foot and do the alphabet backwards. Now, I know I'm getting this wrong, guys, but some of y'all help me. Y'all have been through it. I'm kidding. Uh, they do a lot of stuff. What are they trying to do? They're trying to see, is this person unstable, right? Well, James, the brother of Jesus, is saying, listen, the best way for you to be unstable in your faith is to be double-minded. To think that I can flip the spiritual switch on on Sunday morning, then turn it off, go into the world on Monday morning, flip the world switch on, Journey through life. When I get to the end of my life, end of my week uh, uh, on Saturday night, flip the world switch off. Sunday morning, flip the spiritual light on, and you are unstable. In other words, you're not going to be a good Christian, and you're probably not going to be great in the world either. You're going to be torn between what two desires that God has given us. God has created every man in this room to honor and glorify Him. 
And, and guys, whether you're a believer or not, God has given every man in this room a conscience. Now, we know for those who are believers, God has given us a Holy Spirit that will also convict us. But whether you're a believer or not, God has also given you a conscience. Anybody remember, uh, maybe you were saved later in life, in those seasons in your life where you had done something wrong or uh, it had been a difficult weekend, uh, uh, and, and you put your head on your pillow at night and you go, man, that's just, that was just wrong. This is not who I am. This is not who I want to be, even before you're a believer. Man, if you've been there, that is God's conscience that He puts in every, every person. You know, the reality of it is everybody has a conscience. You look at Romans chapter 2, go read it. I won't read it today, but in Romans chapter 2, Paul says, even those without the law have a conscience that alternately bears witness either for them or against them. Cheering them on when they're doing something good and chastising them when they're doing something wrong. What was he saying? You don't have to be a Christian to know the difference between right and wrong. Why? Because God created us with an innate understanding of that which is right and that which is wrong. Now, when you become a believer, then you get the Holy Spirit piled on top of your conscience. And then if you are double-minded, if you're both walking in your faith on Sunday morning and living in the world the rest of the week, you are going to be a person that is living in constant turmoil. It is going to be like the waves are pushing you one way and then pushing you another way. And the only way to get out of that is to power down. To choose, say, I am going to fully commit to my walk with Christ and to my faith. And I'm not going to be tossed around. I'm not going to be that guy that James, the brother of Jesus, talked about. I'm not going to be, try to be uh, the one person in all of history that has been able to successfully serve two masters. Jesus said we can't do it. We can't serve the world. We can't serve our pleasure. We can't serve money. We can't serve the, and serve God at the same time. We've got to choose. Am I going to serve God first and let all that other stuff fall into place? Or am I going to go ahead and choose the world? I will promise you this, guys. If you choose to serve the world, or if I choose to serve the world, God's not going to fall in line. God's not going to bow down to your pleasures and your desires and your heartbeat and your want. Now, I will tell you what Jesus said a little further on in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, is where He said you can't serve two masters. If you jump down to verse 33, Jesus said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Somebody tell me what the rest of it says. And then all of these things will be added to you. Man, if you want it all, serve God first, and He'll bring everything else in the line. Does that make sense? If you serve the world, God's not showing up. God's not going to bow down to your pleasures and your wants and your desires and my pleasures and my wants and my desires. However, if I will serve the God who spoke it all into existence then all those other things will fall into place. And so guys, my challenge as we move towards the end of this series is make a decision to spend some time every day in God's Word. Spend some time praying for your family. Spend some time really toiling each day mentally in your heartbeat and in your mind. Let your conscience and God's Spirit speak to you. Man, what should I do? And what should I stop doing? What should I say?
And what should I stop saying? We have to make a choice. We can't be double-minded. And if you think about that idea of being uh, uh, unstable in all your ways, man, you, you, just, you just hear over and over the, just a drunk man stumbling. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, if you want to drift there, and then we're going to go to 2 Kings. Right of the book of Hebrews in that hall of faith said, Now faith is the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance of what we do not see. Now, as we think about not being unstable in all of our ways, not being double-minded, man, part of that is we have to grow our faith. And what does that mean? It says, now faith is the confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. There is a reality, and this is, I'm going to acknowledge a real reality in your life and in my life, is um, God doesn't just show up to us every day like the world does. The world shows up every day in living color, right? Your temptations show up every day in living color. But the reality of it is, God doesn't show up in a visibly manifested way each and every day. And for most of us, that's a good thing because that would be a scary experience because of what's going on in our lives. And that's why we have to stay focused on our faith and acknowledge that, man, we have to make sure that we make a determination when we wake up in the morning that this is the day that I'm not going to be double-minded. I'm going to walk by faith. I'm going to serve that God that I don't see but I know exists. I'm going to serve that God that knows everything about me and still sent His Son to die on the cross for me. I'm going to serve that God that every time I sit in church on Sunday morning, in the back recesses of my conscience and my mind, my sinfulness and my brokenness and my deceitfulness shows up. But God still offers forgiveness and grace and love. And I'm going to be determined to no longer be double-minded about my walk and my faith. To no longer flip the switch of God off when I walk out of church on Sunday morning and flip the switch of the world on when I leave and head out on Monday morning. Now, I love this idea. I love this definition of faith because it's a real definition of faith. It says in Hebrews 11.1, 1, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. What do you really have confidence about in your walk and in your faith? A couple of years ago when Jace, my uh, oldest um, when he came and says, hey, I would like to play football. I said, okay. And he was in third grade at the time. And so we went down and, and signed him up uh, to play third grade football, a little ASA football down there. And um, so then the next thing I know, I get a call and said, hey, would you be the head coach? And I said, well, I really got enough on my plate. And I said, yes. So I said, yes. And so we got her. And at that point, it's different now. But at that point, it was all school-based. And so they gave me the two Lovejoy schools. They gave Lovejoy Elementary and Hart Elementary. Whichever one of the kids went to those schools, Allen was school-based at that time, that they put our two schools together, and that was our team. And so we go out there. You get about two weeks where you practice on the Allen football stadium and all stuff. And I begin to look around at our team, and I begin to assess our team as I'm watching other teams play. And I'm like, boy, we don't have a running back like that.
found my I found myself watching the other teams as much in practice in those times as I was watching my team because I want to know who my competition was. And I began to look around and I began to see, you know what, as I look around at some of these some of these kids, uh, I didn't have some of the studs they had. Now what I did have is a great collection of good players. Does that make sense? I just had a bunch of solid players. And I made a decision in my mind in third grade, ASA football, I am never punting. I am going for it on every fourth down. And I remember going out there, so we do our two weeks, and how many of you know Russell Freeman? Anybody in Russell Freeman's class? All right, you, you, can, go, you can go back this story up if you want. So we're finally on the day before the last practice before the first game. He goes, you know, you haven't worked on a punt. And I said, I'm not punting. And he goes, what? I said, I'm not punting. We go out there and we win the game. I will tell you, there were some nervous fourth downs out there. And so the next week, he looked at me and he says, hey, we still haven't worked on the punt. I said, I'm not punting. He goes, oh, I thought you meant just last week. I said, ever. Ever. I said, I'm never, I'm, go, I'm going to believe that if I will go for every fourth down and never plan to punt, then I'm going to be successful more than I'm unsuccessful. And I remember Russell looking at me and saying something like, well, good luck. Four years, I never punted. Never once. I made a decision, a calculated decision. Now, we did all right. We ended up winning one Super Bowl, got boot, beaten the Super Bowl, and won at least one game in every year that we were in the playoffs, and we never had the best team. But we made a decision that we're going to be really good at doing what we're doing. Now, let me tell you what. That required us running our practices in such a way that our kids never made a mistake. Because let me tell you what, when you have decided you are not even practicing a punt, the last thing you wanted was to be first and 15. Or first and 20. Because things got ugly fast. And I remember Russell, there were a couple of times, and it was actually our first year in a playoff game, we got one of those first and 20 situations. Ended up about fourth and 18, and we're on our own 14-yard line. He said, you want to punt? <laughs> now, at that time, he wasn't serious. He was sarcastic. And I looked at him and I said, right now I'd love to punt, but right now we're going for it. Now the decision is that didn't always work out, but I'd made a decision that we would be better if we make a determination, I am going for it on every fourth down. And Russell stood by me all, year, all four years. He would sit there and log. This, this play gets you an average of 5.4 yards. This play gets you 3.1 yards. This play hasn't gone for anything. And I could look at him and I'd say, hey, what play gives me four yards? And I'd call that play. What play have we broken the biggest? I would call that play. And you have to look back in your mind, guys. And you have to say, man, what mistakes have I made in my past? that all I really need to do is make a decisive decision today to follow God and to not waver and not be double-minded. Yeah, faith is the assurance of what we hope for, but it's the not seeing part that's kind of hard. So I want to invite you to go to 2 Kings chapter 6, and this is how we're going to close. And guys, I strongly believe, I strongly believe that if you will open your eyes 
you'll be just like this passage we're going to see in 2 Kings chapter 6. You've heard of Elijah, but many of you don't know about his protege, Elisha. In 2 Kings chapter 6, Elisha has taken over from Elijah. And Elijah has been consulting, and uh, the king of Aram has constantly been dogging and trying to attack the Israelites. And Elijah has been praying to God, and every time the, the uh, uh, king of Aram is about to attack the Israelites, God would tell Elisha, here's what he's about to do, do this. And so God was always giving Elijah the word to give to the Israelite king so he could not be overcome and not be overattacked. Well, so then all of a sudden there's a conversation that happens from the king of Aram, and it says, man, how come they constantly know what I'm about to do? And some of the king of Aram's man, men said, it's that Elijah, the prophet of God. He says, it's almost like he is in your bedroom every night, and he knows the words you say in your bedroom. And no sooner do you tell him to us, he communicates to the Israelite king, and the Israelite king takes a maneuver and gets them safe, or allows them to win the battle. And so here's what happens. It says, now the king of Aram, verse 8, the king of Aram, was at war with Israel. After conferring with all of his officers, he said, I will set up my camp in such and such a place. The man of God sent word to the king of Israel, Elisha knew, Beware of passing by that place, because the, Aramites, uh, the Arameans uh, are going down there. So the king of Israel checked on the place uh, and, uh, and indicated that, uh, that by the man of God, Time and time again, Elijah warned the king so that he was on his guard in all such places. What is he saying? The man of God was warning him to be on guard, be careful. The enemy is there. Now as you jump down, verse 11. This enraged the king of Aram. He summoned his officers and demanded of them, Tell me which of us is on the side of the king of Israel. What was he doing? Which of you guys is letting our secret out. Which of you guys is allowing, it, allowing this to happen that we can't even beat the little Israelites? Now notice how they responded. Some of the officers said, None of us, my lord the king, but Elisha, that prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words that you speak even in your bedroom. In other words, he has tapped your phone. He knows what's going on. Every time you say we're going to do this, he tells the king of Israel to do that. And every time you say we're going to do this, he tells the king of Israel to do that. In other words, Elisha is speaking in the, in the ear of the king of Israel. Now notice verse 13. He says, go and find out for me where he is. Let me stop going after the king and the army. Let me go kill the prophet of God. All right? That seems like a smart thing to do. Now notice what happens. It says, go find out where he is, the king ordered, so that I can send out men and capture him. The report came back that he is in Dokum. Look at verse 14. Then he sent horses and wild chariots, chariots, it's the king of Aram, and a strong force there. They went by night. So what are they doing? They're slipping up at night, and they surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God, Elisha's servant, when the servant of the man of God got up, went out early the next morning, an army of horses and chariots surrounded the city. In other words, he walked out and said, uh-oh, uh, they are there. The enemy is surrounded the city. Now notice what he does. Oh no, 
my Lord, what shall we do? What shall we do? Now, they're in a predicament. They're in a tough space, a tough place, and a tough spot. The servant of the man of God comes back to Elisha and said, Elisha, you've been giving some really good advice to the king that has kept him from getting killed. Uh, the problem is they're circling our city. Notice what Elijah does. Elijah says, don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elijah prayed, Lord, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and as he looked, he saw up on the hills, and they were full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. As the enemy came down toward him, Elisha prayed, Lord, strike the enemy with blindness. So they were struck with blindness, just as Elisha had asked. Guys, here's the point of this story is I believe every guy in this room, when you are doing it on your own, when you have flipped off your spiritual journey, your spiritual life, on Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday or Friday, that if you would just pray that God would open your eyes, you would see His horses and His chariots standing at the ready to fight for you. To fight for your family, to fight for your job, to fight for your friendships, to fight for your finances, to fight for your relationships. But we have to be willing to keep the spiritual switch on all day, every day. Just say, God, show me what I need to do. Show, show me how I need to respond. Show me how I need to act. See, guys, if we're double-minded, we'll never see the chariots that God has set for us that He's going to send to help us. If we never turn the switch on, if we never look to the hills, if we never pray to God, we're never going to see that He's right there to help us avoid temptation, avoid struggle, avoid hurt, avoid heartache. If we never turn the switch of faith on throughout the week, we're never going to see God standing at the ready to heal your marriage, to heal your heart, and to heal your mind. A double-minded man is unstable in all, his, all of his ways. But the reverse of that... A man who is single-mindedly focused on serving God will always have all the help he ever needs. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for this day. God, thank you for uh, the men in this room. God, even though I didn't get, all, get to all that I wanted to share today, and I'll share more even next week, God, I pray that we would leave here today as men who are as determined in our faith and in our spiritual journey as we are in anything else. God, let us be Elisha, that we make decisions every day knowing that your chariots and your horses are ready to come fight with us and for us each and every day. God, let us be men of faith who are single-mindedly focused on seeking you, seeking you and your will for us, God and everything that we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you all, and go for it every fourth down.